Thanks to this season's presenting sponsor, Driscoll's. Only the finest berries. Hello, young chefs, and welcome back to Mystery Recipe. I'm Molly Birnbaum, Editor-in-Chief of America's Test Kitchen Kits. And I'm Mitzi. I've admit, Molly's right-hand gal and co-host on the show. Every week on Mystery Recipe, we'll be talking about the fun, fantastical, and fascinating sides of a different kitchen ingredient. Plus, at the end of the season, we'll use all the ingredients to cook a mystery recipe together. Can you guess what it is yet? So far, we know it will contain water. But that's also all we know. Could basically, literally be anything. So maybe no need to make guesses yet. Today is day two of Water Week. That's right. Today, we have a slippery when wet edition of Tricky Trivia, followed by a farm fresh interview in Ask a Grown Up. And to round off today's episode, our friend Andrea is back with some H2O Wow science in how to time. Plus, we have an exciting introduction to make. Our new intern starts today. We have been getting ready for her all week. We can't wait for you to meet her, listeners. But first, the theme song. Tastes good. Ooh. Maggie Aggie's in the building, folks. Mystery recipe. And we're back. And so excited. Ah, it feels like the first day of school. I can't wait to make a new friend. Hello. Ah, here she comes. Come in. Come in. Ah, hi, friends. Oh my goodness, I am so excited. So are we, cannot you tell? Okay, okay, where am I going? Hi Meg, can I help show you to your microphone? Please, thank you Molly, that would be so great. I'm sure I'll get the lay of the land pretty quick, but I haven't been here before. Great, you can grab my arm here if you'd like, and your chair is here, and your mic is right in front of it. Testing, testing, uno, dos, tres. Oh, Maggie Aggie's in the building, folks. Woo, this is so fun already. Okay, I am obsessed with Maggie Aggie as a nickname for you. Thank you. Me too, me too. Before we get too far, would you like to introduce yourself to our listeners? Oh, of course. Hi, listeners. I'm Maggie Aggie, like I said. But my real name is Meg. My pronouns are she, her, and I'm an egg timer. A very cute little yellow timer in the shape of an egg with numbers in a circle around my waist. I'm a kitchen timer, so you can use me when you need to set a time for two minutes or one hour. Whatever you need, Maggie has got you covered. (laughs) Oh, and I speak Spanish. Que bien! Meg, we are so excited to have you on this season as our intern. Can you tell us a little bit about why you wanted to be on the show this season? Oh, I'd love to. I'm studying to become a food scientist, so I want to learn more about how food and cooking works. What makes sauce saucy? What makes rotten eggs stinky? All types of things. Well, you've come to the right place. We are all about food and science here on Mystery Recipe. Amazing! 
Well, I brought my tablet so I can take lots of notes. And hopefully, listeners, we can do lots of learning together this season. Ah, it's going to be so fun. Es muy divertido. I think so too, Meg. I also understand you are visually impaired. Do you mind telling our listeners what that means? Well, sure. I don't mind at all. Being visually impaired means that I don't have clear eyesight or vision. It's hard for me to see. There are lots of ways that someone can be visually impaired. Molly, I've been told that you wear glasses, so you're visually impaired too then, right? That's right. For some people, just wearing glasses is enough to correct their vision and allow them to see most things which is like one end of the scale of visual impairment. The other end of that scale is someone who is totally blind and can't see anything at all. I'm legally blind, which basically means that glasses can't totally fix my vision. But really, I'm in the middle of that scale, maybe a little closer to blind. I have a condition called Leber's congenital amaurosis, or LCA. Leber's congenital amaurosis. Oh, I should maybe write that one down. Don't worry. Knowing everything about my condition isn't totally necessary for you or for our listeners. But what would be helpful for all of you to know is a little bit about what I am and what I am not able to see. Do you mind sharing that with us, Meg? Happy to. But first, it's important to know that everyone who's visually impaired is different. What I can or cannot see may be different from someone else you know who is visually impaired or blind. There are lots of conditions and reasons why someone might have a visual impairment. There's even lots of forms of LCA. I have something called tunnel vision. Basically, I have no peripheral vision. Peripheral vision is being able to see on the left and on the right of what's directly in front of you. So if I look ahead and hold my hands out about shoulder width apart, I can't see them. I can only see what's straight in front of me. You can only see what's straight in front of you. Okay, got it. And even then, my vision is not clear at all. Everything is very blurry. So I can see shapes, shadows, and light, but I don't see detail. It was easy for me to tell the difference between Molly and Mitzi because Molly is a person and Mitzi is an oven mitt. So you are very different shapes. That is true. But I usually can't tell the difference between different people just by looking at them. People are generally people-shaped. So as folks come and go from the studio, it would help if you all tell me who they are. That makes sense. No problem, Meg. That's great. Oh, also, I don't really see colors, which means I'm colorblind. I can kind of see red, but it's very faded. And I don't see most other colors. So telling me to grab that green apple might not work out. To me, it looks a lot like an orange or a lemon. That's very good to know. Oh, thank you, Meg. What else can we do to make sure you have everything you need while you're here this season? Well, there's lots of things I do differently in the kitchen and some special tools I use to make things easier, like my tablet. I use my tablet to take notes because I can make the text really big and easy to see. And I can use it to magnify recipes or writing on a page that might be too small for me to make out. I also sometimes use an app called a screen reader that speaks out loud the text that's on my tablet. So if you ever hear my tablet speaking itself to me, that's why. It's just my screen reader helping me know what's on my screen. But other than that, for now, I'd say don't worry about me too much. I have been visually impaired my whole life and have spent lots of time in the kitchen. If I need help, I'll ask for it. But I have my own way of doing most everything you can do. That's great to know. 
Thanks. I am so excited to be here this season and to get to know you all and your listeners. What do you say we get this party started? That sounds great to me. Let's jump into our first segment. It's time for Tricky Trivia. Here's how it's going to work. I will give you a fact all about our ingredient theme for the week, and you get to help our listeners decide if it's true or false. Let's slip and slide our way through these questions. I am ready to make a splash. I will not let you down, listeners. Ah, Peggy, I love the enthusiasm. Great. Let's get right to it. Here's your first one. True or false? Hot water takes up more space than cold water. So what do you think? Does hot water take up more space than cold water? Wow, Molly. Starting strong with a real tough one. I don't know a ton about water other than the basics. You know, we need it to survive. It covers most of the earth. Give it your best shot. All right. Let's think, listeners. If I were to pour one cup of water into two glasses and I heat up one cup and cool down the other, I don't really think it would look like there's much of a difference. But just because I can't see it, that doesn't mean there isn't a difference. I mean, I know atoms and molecules are teeny tiny particles of matter that make up pretty much everything. But people can't see them. In the spirit of tricky trivia, I think there's going to be a tricky, sciencey explanation for this. I'm going with true. Hot water takes up more space than cold water. You're correct. And yes, there is a sciencey explanation. Are you ready for it? You know it! Ready, Molly! All right. It's true that just by looking at two glasses filled with the same amount of water, one hot and one cold, it's hard to see a difference. But one cup of fridge temp water expands into about one cup and two teaspoons when it's heated to almost boiling. When you heat up room temperature water, the water molecules gain energy and start to move around faster. As they move faster, they spread out, increasing the water volume. Interesting. With the cold water, does the opposite happen? Exactly right. When water is chilled, those water molecules lose energy and move slower. As those molecules slow down, they get closer together and decrease the volume. Pretty cool. I certainly think so. Okay, on to the next. True or false? Fruits and vegetables can be made of up to 98% water by weight. So Meg, do you think this is true or false? Do you think fruits and vegetables can be made of up to 98% water by weight? Hmm, let's see. I know there are tons of juicy fruits out there and vegetables that contain lots of water too, like an orange, a cucumber, or celery. But 98% water seems awfully high. That would be like a puddle, maybe, would it? I'm going to say false. I do not think fruits and vegetables can be made of up to 98% water. Correct again. Celery can be up to 95% water, and an orange is in the high 80s, but 98% is too high. Fruits and vegetables can be made of up to 95% water by weight. Wow, I would have guessed even lower. 95% is still pretty good, though. Good thing I love celery. It's like eating a glass of water. Indeed. Ready for your last one? Oh, yeah. Quiz me. All right, Meg. True or false? 
Of all the water on Earth, only about 1.2% can be used as drinking water. What? What do you think? Is only 1.2% of the Earth's water available for drinking water? There's a massive amount of water on Earth. Listeners, water makes up 71% of the Earth's surface. Shout out to the oceans out there. Looking at you, Pacific. But 1.2% of that just doesn't seem like that much. I'm going to go with false, Molly. I don't think that it's true that of all the water on Earth, Only 1.2% can be used for drinking water. Well, you are technically correct. Oh no, I feel a but coming. But I think you'll be surprised why you're correct. Do you think that number should be higher than 1.2% or less than 1.2%? I feel like 1.2% is a really small amount, so I think that number should be higher. I thought so. The answer is false, but the amount is actually lower. Only about 3% of Earth's water is something called freshwater. And of that, only about 1.2% can be used as drinking water. The rest is buried deep in the ground or makes up things like glaciers. Freshwater? Molly, what's that? Like new water? No, Meg, there are two types of water on Earth, freshwater and saltwater. Freshwater is what's in things like lakes, rivers, and streams. It's water that's not salty, and it's where most of our drinking water comes from. Salt water is what's in the ocean, and it's too salty for humans to drink. Interesting. So the whole Earth's drinking water supply is 1.2% of 3%? Exactly. Water is vital for all living things, and it's a resource we should respect. Absolutely. Definitely not taking water for granted over here. Well, Meg, that is it for Tricky Trivia today. You did great. Hooray! Those certainly kept me on my toes. But I feel like I learned a lot. Hope you did too, listeners. Hello, friends. Chad here. Chad! Hey, Chad! How are things going so far, Meg? You have everything you need? Going great. Thanks, Chad. Yes, Things are off to a great start. Meg is a pro already, Chad. She's going to be just fine. Thanks, Molly. Okay, great. So, Chad, if you're here, then it must be time for Ask a Grown-Up. That's right, Mitzi. Fun! So, who are you going to be talking to today? Well, since it's Water Week, I got to thinking about how plants need water just like people do, which got me thinking about farms. Farms? That's right, Mitzi. I know how I water my garden in my backyard, but my garden's pretty small. I was curious to learn more about how farmers water their crops when they're on a big farm with thousands of different plants. So I talked to a farmer about it. Well, before you get to that, Chad, it's time for a quick word from our sponsors. Grownups, these ads are for you. Hey, grown-ups! I'm Kevin Pang, host of the other podcast from America's Test Kitchen, Proof. As a busy podcast host and dad, I'm always looking for ways to save time in the kitchen. I recently got acquainted with this heat-make graphite grill and toaster oven from the Japan-based company Sengoku, and it's been a huge time saver. I don't have to wait for this oven to preheat thanks to Sengoku's amazing graphite heating technology. This grill reaches its maximum heat output in a second 
literally. It gets hot immediately. So whether it's a piece of toast, or heating up leftovers, or roasting veggies, the top and bottom heating elements evenly distribute heat, bringing my meals to perfection in half the time. You can save 10% and get free shipping by using the code ATK10 at checkout. Just go to SengokuLA.com. That's S-E-N-G-O-K-U-L-A.com to order yours today. Hey, grown-ups! I wanted to tell you about one of our cookbooks, Gabby's Latin American Kitchen. Has your young chef ever tried empanadas, made cheesy arepas for your family, or shared homemade sprinkle-covered chocolate brigaderos with their friends? You can travel through Latin America together with your child through 70 recipes developed and written by Gabby Melian, all kid-tested and kid-approved by America's Test Kitchen Kids panel of over 15,000 at-home kid recipe testers. Plus, the Spanish-language glossary, fun personal stories, and peek into Gabby's own kitchen give this book important cultural context and make your learning experience extend far past the meal. It's a delicious win for all young chefs and their families. You can find Gabby's Latin American Kitchen everywhere that books are sold. And we're back, which means it's time for Ask a Grown-Up. Take it away, Chad. Thanks, Molly. Since it's Water Week, I wanted to answer the question, how do you water a farm? Watering a home garden is one thing. I can just take a garden hose and give water to the plants that need it. But when you have acres and acres filled with different types of plants and crops, it becomes a much tougher job. So I reached out to an expert. My name is uh, Mike Suschek. I have been working at Sienna Farms for six years now. This is my, I guess, technically seventh season going around. And I am the farm manager here. A farm manager is what it sounds like. He manages a farm. Um, You know, making the plan, executing the plan, and making sure everything gets done, pretty much. Sienna Farms is a large farm located in Sudbury, Massachusetts, and they grow lots of different crops. We grow over 150 different varieties, probably, I would say, 70 to 80 different types of crops that range anywhere from, you know, your, your basic, like, lettuces, carrots, beets, kale, and then we do a lot of sunflowers and we do a decent amount of um, thyme, oregano, parsley, dill, cilantro. Um, We've messed around with a couple other ones, chives, garlic chives. Like I said, lots of different crops, which makes keeping all these plants watered and happy a big job. And in order to do that, Mike spent a lot of time learning about irrigation. Yeah, so irrigation is um, pretty much anything that has to do with water or applying water to a field. So crops obviously need water to photosynthesize and, you know, turn green and grow. So water is, you know, basically the essential part of all life on the farm, basically. But it's not as simple as walking around all day with a hose or a watering pail. That water has to come from somewhere. So we have a couple of different things that we can do on the farm. We have ponds and local streams that we can um, move the water from with a pump. And that's one way that we can do that. And then the other way that we can do that is using a well. And a well is just like a really deep hole that's dug in the ground. It uses the water that's super deep in the ground. So just like our tap water, 
Sienna Farm uses either surface water from ponds or streams that are right there on the farm, or wells that tap into groundwater. Then they have to deliver that water to the plants themselves, and some methods of doing that are more effective than others. Um, you can use little sprinklers that come out of a, a line, and you can use a big overhead gun, which is basically like a, a big sprinkler that um, broadcasts water over the field in a large area. And then the third way is using, it's called drip tape, and it's pretty much exactly what the word um, sounds like. It's a, a band of pipe that's very small, and it just trickles out water very slowly, um, and so it gets it right at the base of the plant so the roots can have access to that water instantly. So, you have water coming from different places, being delivered in different ways, and if that isn't complicated enough, farmers also need to keep track of rain. In today's world that is, you know, changing with the climate and stuff like that, we're seeing more extremes from super dry or really wet. Um, so it's tr trying to be able to deal with a drought or be able to deal with too much rain. Because last season, it was way too wet. We got almost 13 inches of rain in one month. And then this year is the complete opposite. It is way too dry. And we've gotten maybe five inches of rain since you know the beginning of June. Um, so it's been a, a couple months of really dry weather. And that can have you know a pretty big impact on the farm. And so we've been irrigating like crazy since then. So I think the biggest thing for farmers is staying on your toes and being ready for anything that comes your way. And um, having the stuff in place that you need to do for irrigation is one of the biggest things. Irrigating crops or giving them water when it doesn't rain seems simple enough. But what do farmers do if there's too much rain? Can they take water out of a field? As I always say, you can always put water on a field, but you can't ever take it off. One thing that we do to combat that when it's too wet, we make raised beds. So they're about eight inches off of the ground. Um, and we make those raised beds in the event that we get too much water, the crops will stay above the water that is sitting in the field. I asked Mike if he had any advice for any young listeners who are interested in working on a farm one day. Yeah, if people are interested in agriculture, it's a really awesome field to get into. An awesome field to get into? Huh? Get it? When I started farming, I didn't really, I had no farming experience. So you don't really need any experience to get started. If people are interested in it, it's a simple matter of just picking up a farming book and, you know, flipping through it and reading a little bit about it. There's a lot of schools out there that can teach you how to farm. I was able to start, you know, from the basics and learn the science and just work my way up to where I am now. Farming is a thing where even today I am still reading and learning all the time. I constantly educate myself and I you know, listen to podcasts and I read books and I talk with my fellow farmers about what they're doing. It's a good community of people that are always willing to help each other, which has been a really nice thing. Sounds like a very nice thing indeed. Thanks again to Mike and everyone at Sienna Farms for helping our community learn about irrigation. That's all the time we have for Ask a Grown-Up today. Back to you, friends. Wow, what a big word we just learned. Irrigation. I love it. I've got some more learning for you if you're feeling up to it, Meg. Andrea! Hi, Andrea. Hi, friends. And hello, Meg. I heard it's your first day as our new intern. I'm Andrea, and I use she, her pronouns. It's so nice to meet you. 
Nice to meet you too, Andrea. Meg, Andrea is an associate editor at America's Test Kitchen Kids. That means she works on developing recipes and experiments for our cookbooks and website. You can find out more about all that fun stuff by going to atkkids.com. We want you to practice your cooking techniques while you're our intern. So every week, I'm going to teach you something new to up your arsenal of kitchen skills. Sounds amazing. So what are we going to be learning about today? It's water week this week, so we're going to learn about water temperature. Ooh, fun. Like the temperature water boils at? It's 212 degrees Fahrenheit, 100 degrees Celsius. That's true. Nice job. I didn't know the boiling temperature of water right off the top of my head. I would have had to look it up. And yes, you're right. We're going to be talking about using water in the kitchen, specifically getting water to the right temperature for recipes. You've lost me now. What do you mean the right temperature for recipes? Unless you're like boiling pasta, doesn't water just mean water? Not exactly. There are lots of culinary situations where you might need water to be a specific temperature. Ooh, culinary situations. That's the phrase of the day, and also the name of my podcast if I ever start one. Can I steal that? That's all yours, as long as you have me on as a guest. So, sometimes a recipe will call for water to be a specific temperature. Like in a bread recipe, for instance, it might call for room temperature water or ice water. Yep, I've definitely seen that before. Is there a specific temperature that room temperature water should be? Should I have been using a thermometer for my water in my recipes all this time? Technically, here at ATK, we assume 67 degrees is room temperature. Is that the temperature in here right now? Should we check the thermostat? I never check the thermostat when I'm in the kitchen. Uh Uh-oh. You don't need to check the thermostat, Meg. In general, you can think about room temperature as not too hot and not too cold. But it's also helpful to consider the environment you're cooking in. Hmm, we're in Boston, so I would consider this an urban environment or coastal northern. Those are all correct, but I meant more in terms of temperature. If the test kitchen were someplace where it's typically warm, like Puerto Rico, room temperature might be a little higher than 67. Oh, I get it. If we were in a typically cold place, like Alaska, the room temperature could be lower than 67. That's exactly right. All of that said, when you need room temperature water, just make sure you're using water that is not too hot and not too cold. If you get water right out of the fridge, for example, make sure you let it sit on the counter for a little bit before using it. Okay, that's easy enough. What about if we need ice water? That one is a little bit more specific. When ice water is called for in a recipe, it's important that the water is very, very cold. But we don't want ice to end up in the food. No, that probably wouldn't be very good. Nope, probably not. The best way to measure ice water is to fill a large glass with ice and water and stir for 30 seconds. It's important to keep the glass in the refrigerator until right before you need to use it so the ice doesn't melt and the water stays as cold as possible. When you're ready to use the ice water in your recipe, place a fine mesh strainer over a liquid measuring cup. Then pour the water through the strainer to measure the right amount of water. What do you do with the ice? 
You could just get rid of it. You don't need it anymore. Could you chew on it as a little chili treat? Oh, sure. I like chomping on ice, especially soda fountain ice. There's also a technique for measuring boiling water. Do you want to hear it? You bet I do. To measure boiling water, bring a kettle of water to a boil first, then measure out the water you need. Don't measure it out before, then boil, or else you won't have enough water because of evaporation. That's a great tip. Thanks for teaching me how to get the water temperature right for recipes, Andrea. It was my pleasure. See you next week, Maggie. Bye, Andrea. Wow, this has been so fun. I feel like I'm learning so much already. And that skill was really accessible for me, too. It makes a difference. That's a big word, Meg, accessible. What does that mean? Well, when something is accessible, it means lots of different people can access it, can use it, or do it. But a lot of the time, when we talk about making things accessible, or when we use the phrase accessibility, we are talking about making sure that people who are disabled or have a disability are also able to be included. Ah, accessibility is when something is accessible to people with differing abilities. That makes total sense. Exactly, Mitzi. You got it. Doing things like helping me find the microphone and saying your name when you enter a room are great ways to keep this space welcoming and accessible to me. I really appreciate it. Well, it's not hard, Meg. We always want to make sure our kitchen and our show are as accessible as possible. And we'd love to keep working with you all season to learn more about accessibility. Meg, does that sound okay with you? That sounds amazing. Perfect. Listeners, we're about out of time for today, but we'll be back with another wet and wacky episode next time. We'll pour over some science in our pressing question segment, followed by a strange word from our sponsors in our wild card. And remember, at the end of the season, we'll be using all of our ingredients in a very special mystery recipe to cook together. Can you guess what it is yet? If you love Mystery Recipe, be sure to subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. That way, you won't miss an episode. And feel free to leave us a review. We love reading them. Until then, keep keep on cooking. Mystery Recipe is hosted by me, Mitzi, and I am a starfruit, and Molly Birnbaum, who is a honey crisp apple. Chad Chennai is a writer and producer. He is a kumquat. Andrea Vavjan is a kanepa, and Katie O'Hara is a lemon, and they are both contributing writers on our show. Audio services are provided by Ultraviolet Audio, with sound design supervision by Matt Boynton. He's a nectarine. Scoring, sound design, and mixing by Chester Guazda, a banana, and additional engineering by Eric Gorman, a raspberry. Jonathan Roberts composed our theme music, and Jonathan is a mangosteen. Our director of post-production is Hen Margolis. She is a pomegranate. Our director of production is Diane Knox, who is also a dragon fruit. Fact-checking by Julia Arwin, a watermelon. Our executive producer is Caitlin Kelleher, and she's a blueberry. Jack Bishop is the chief creative officer of America's Test Kitchen. He's a mango. David Nussbaum is our CEO, and he's also a raspberry. Special thanks to our senior science editor, Paul Adams, executive editor, Kristen Sargianis, executive food editor, Susanna McFerrin, art director, Gabby Hominoff, deputy food editor, Afton Cyrus, associate editors, Andrea Vavjan, 
Katie O'Hara, Ed Tessberger, Editorial Assistant, Julia Arwin, Photo Test Cook, Ashley Stoyanov, Test Cook, Faye Yang, and Managing Producer, Yumi Araki. Special thanks to Mike Suscheck and Sienna Farms. This episode featured the voices of Kira O'Sullivan and Nefertiti Matos Olivares. Special thanks again to our sponsors, Driscoll's and Sengoku. Mystery Recipe is a production of America's Test Kitchen Kids. So, should I call you Meg or Maggie or Maggie Eggie or Eggie Maggie? Or both? All of the above? I think it depends on the situation. I'm fine with all of them. Just do what feels right. But how will I know what feels right? Meg. Gee, egg. E. Ugh. <laughs> just don't overthink it. <laughs> yeah. We've just met, but overthinking is kind of my whole deal, Eggie. Maggie. Maggie, egg. Is this episode over yet? Hi, grown-ups. I wanted to tell you a little bit about our newsletter. If you love the fun food content we share on Mystery Recipe, then sign up today for our ATK Kids newsletter to receive even more recipes, activities, and stories from me straight to your inbox. As a mom of two, I always try to include things that are important to my family, and it's a great way to hear about all the new things we are cooking up at ATK. Plus, every new email added will be entered for a chance to win three free ATK Kids books for toddlers through teens. We'll draw 10 winners every month while the promotion lasts. And we have some great books available all the time. Head to atkkids.com newsletter to sign up today for your chance to win.